There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to a following-on podcast special on the South African saga. Just last night on Sunday, late into the evening, after an 11-hour meeting, a crisis that could have seen South Africa removed from the international game was finally, finally averted. An 11-hour meeting before, uh, between an interim board that was appointed by the South African Sports Minister and the Members' Council, which is the highest decision-making body in South African cricket. Finally, the Members' Council agreed to accept a redrafted memorandum of incorporation, which is basically Cricket South Africa's constitution, which would accept the appointment of a majority independent board and an independent chair. The saga has been ongoing for, for, well, six months since the interim board was appointed in October last year with a mandate from the sports minister to introduce good corporate governance. Uh, Cricket South Africa has been floundering for over a decade. Recently, a uh, forensic report revealed a whole raft of uh, maladministration issues from overspending on credit cards to uh, a whole litany of uh, of, uh, errors in in administration. And eventually the sports minister lost patience, removed the, uh, the, the elected board, and uh, or forced them to resign and appointed this interim board. Well, the minister lost patience last week, at the end of last week, when the Members' Council, having said that they would accept the redrafted Memorandum of Incorporation, having said that they would accept this uh, new corporate governance, which includes a majority of independents, they then voted against it at a special general meeting. And that was when the sports minister stepped in and said that he was going to defund and de-recognise, and that is a word, de-recognise Cricket South Africa as the official custodians of the game. It would have meant that the awarding of national colours would no longer no longer have been possible. It would effectively have meant that all internationals played by South Africa for the foreseeable future, men's and women's team, would become unofficial. And that was going to be published in the Government Gazette on Friday of this week. If that had gone ahead, and it might still, there's still a very small chance that it might still go ahead, then the Proteas would become unofficial. A return to the days of rebel international cricket in South Africa. But agreement was reached in principle, and the Members' Council have now said that they will accept the redrafted constitution within 48 hours. Alongside me, as always, is uh, Steve Harmison, the great Steve Harmison, and we are going to show a bit of flexibility, versatility in this show, because we're going to switch roles, I reckon. I reckon that might be better, because if I ask <laughs> Harmy what the hell's going on, I don't know, I'm not sure you'll have the answers, Harmy. I'm not sure, man. It's no, good afternoon, no, good evening. And it's, it's just, uh, it just seems as though it's you know, one crisis after another. And we in England 
um, we we sometimes look with our you know, rose-tinted glasses on, especially when you you get the politics side of, of South Africa and possibly India, possibly Pakistan, when they have when they have boards where who knows best? Do you know what I mean? It's there's people who think they've got power, they think they've got authority, then all of a sudden, when you throw it all into the mix, the constitution is looked at, they actually haven't got any power, and the others there's in-house infighting. Um, and the people that suffer, like always, to be fair, whether it's politics in life or politics in sport, or the people that are further down the food chain, i.e., the players, the staff the ground staff, the administrators, the people that are on security, the fantastic fans that go and watch African cricket. It just seemed, man, as it seemed an absolute mess from the outside looking in. I've sampled small side of the um, of South African cricket, played a, a bit for Hautang, uh, the Highveld Lions. Um, but when you look at it, it just seemed as though, man, as it was a total mess. And where, where literally, where does this stand? Uh, cricketers. I'm not bothered about the administrators. I'm a former international cricketer, and I have a lot of sympathy with these cricketers out there who are potentially going to lose their livelihoods over, is it an in-house fighting? Is it one man's fault? Is it an ego power trip? At the end of the day, at the end of the day it, would be, it would be unthinkable, unthinkable for South Africa to lose status in the world of international cricket because potentially it might not get it back. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, first of all, I'll explain the Members' Council once again and the role of the provincial presidents. There are 14 provinces, which is, you know, not dissimilar to England. There are 18 counties. There are 14 provinces. And I'm going to explain who these, these men are, and, and, they, and they are all but, all but one are, are men. Uh, and I may just say that the president of the Central Gauteng Lions, for whom you played when they were called... The High Felt Lions, I think they were at that stage. Anne Villas, who is Dane Villas's mother. Yes. She has been absolutely outstanding. When we refer to the recalcitrant members of the Members' Council, we should stipulate and remember that there are five who voted for these changes. It wasn't unilateral. It wasn't... Um, a, a major, it wasn't a, a universal decision by the Members' Council. It was a, simply a majority. But Anne Villas has been absolutely brilliant. And I just think we should have more women, yeah. <laughs> especially more women like her in the administration of the game. But so this is how it works in South Africa, Harmi. The clubs within a province vote for and they propose directors for their provincial boards and they then vote for the president. Um, and so a lot of politicking can go on and does go on in South Africa. You get ambitious administrators who are amateurs who go around the clubs and make promises and say they'll buy a new roller and buy new covers and they'll do this, that and the other. And if they garner enough votes, then they become the provincial president. They then sit automatically on the members council. Seven of them then sit on the board. And they pay themselves 400,000 rand a year. Don't do the conversion because it's not that many pounds, but 400,000 rand a year makes a big, big difference in South Africa. So this group of 14 provincial presidents are the ultimate authority or were in the old constitution. Now, every uh, provincial ground in South Africa has the presidential suite. And the position of the president should be and mostly is honorary. They entertain at lunch during the uh, during internationals, during matches. It's an honorary position and it rewards often 20, 30, 40 years of service at grassroots level in the in the game. And the board supposed to run the game with the executive. That's the chief executive and the chief financial officer. And but do, do you see what I mean? It's overseen by these 14 amateur provincial presidents. Now, what is the role? My question to you is, what is the role of the county president in England? Is that is that honorary? I mean, are the counties basically run by proper, professional, skilled, experienced administrators? What role do the, do the presidents of the counties play? I think it's the chief executives in England that are the ones that make all the decisions. They're proper executives. And I can just look at down the road at, at my place, John Bostock, who at, at Durham, who who spent a lot of time in the in the banking sector in in, in Australia, I think uh, I've only met him a few times, but what a, a very very impressive man. Worked very close with Sir Ian Botham. Ian Botham is chairman of, of Durham County Cricket Club, um, and I'm just going off experiences here. And 
I think the way that works is Beefy is like what you probably have in, in South Africa is president, but he is obviously is he's chairman. So he he's not got, I think, the final say, but there's a lot of cricketing decisions go through the chief executive who then makes a decision to run the business. And I think that throughout the counties is the way forward in in English cricket. I think there has been a change in in the a little tweak in the in the constitution of of English cricket, where you know, it used to be the the 18 first class chairman, and you know the board was made up by people a bit like South Africa, who were who were amateurs, who were honorary roles. I think now it's a little bit more professional. It's it's made by people who who are paid professionals, who are educated in the world of sport and in the world of running businesses and in the world of running the governing body to make everything better. It just seems, you know, from a distance, is South Africa, does South Africa need a change? Has it meant going to the brink of expulsion and not being, you know, not being recognised the best thing for South African cricket, even though at the start of the show we're talking about people losing their jobs and their livelihoods? Could this be the, the, the best thing for South African cricket and the change to get more of a, a professional board to run the, the, run the organisation? Yeah, I mean, I was just wondering, you know, I've, I've seen many, I've met uh, many chief executives in England, county chief executives, and they obviously run the, the day-to-day running of the business of yeah. the county. They run, who, but if they, they presumably must be answerable to the board of directors. It's the composition of the board of directors of each county that, that interests the, me. Are they, are they professionals? Committee. Each county have a committee, and they'll have people on the. And they committee. have experts on those, like lawyers and. Yeah, well, I look at I look at Lancashire. Lancashire's committee director of cricket was is, is Paul Allard. Uh, Andrew Flintoff is on the committee at, at Lancashire, um, who has got his you know he's got his finger on the pulse with the the grassroots game because he's got two sons that play at at, at sort of county junior level. I think you know the. the the kids are 14 and 15. So he sees how the school section is, you know, the, the board section is run further down the food chain. There'll be people on there on the committee who will have no connection with first class cricket at all, but it'll be a case of just running the business, running the business right because you know cricket is a business, but not everything in the game, not everything in the business is cricket. You're going to need people with, um, expertise in you know in sales and marketing and everything going about making sure that the cricket in that county has uh, has enough money to generate and that's from other outside sources so you don't have to be a huge knowledge of the game of cricket but what I would say is on them committees there will be people who are listened to who are guiding the, the, the cricket side of the business um, the way forward and if that's not done properly and done right then I think you, 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 your ship's in trouble. And I look at my my club, and you know, unfortunately we had some financial troubles a few years ago, and everything's on the up and up, everything's going forward. We have got one of the greatest all-rounders that's ever played the game, Sharia and Botham, more or less making the decisions at cricket and top level. We've got a chief executive in, in, in John Bostock who seems to understand the financial side of the, of the business and the way things are run. Um, and Durham are on the up and up, the change in direction from a financial point of view. They're paying back all the loans and moving forward, and that seems to be a well-oiled machine. Now, is every county like that? Probably not. Majority of them will be. They'll be hard hit from the pandemic, but it seems a lot of them are, are, are going in the right direction when it comes to when it comes to the ECB board. And the ECB board is is more or less built up exactly the same. You know, I would imagine Andrew Strauss is on that. Ashley Giles, I'll be on that as managing director and there'll be business people on that to make sure the business is running smoothly and they're making some money going forward. And that is a, is what is possibly needed in, in, in South Africa. Yeah, no, you're quite right. I mean, I know there have been many decisions over decades that have been made in English cricket that uh, um, have displayed a, a county bias, you know, and, and, and chairman or chief executives are paid to do the best thing for their county. And, I, and there were times when the counties were really looking after themselves, not to the extent that the provinces do in South Africa, because I tell you, provincial bias in South Africa is 
is has destroyed the game for for many years. Anyway, we're going to on, on that front, Manners. Just just to pick you up on that front, you know, there's 14, 14 board members, but there's a lot more provincial. What we would have is counties. I know. I remember when I was over there. It was you, I was playing for Highveld Lions, but it was it was Johannesburg and Potchefstroom. The two boards were put together and. The guy at the top changed every year because it was one year somebody from Johannesburg, and the next year it was somebody from Hautang. The next year it was somebody from from Potchefstroom. It seemed as though there was a lot of political influence and outsiders yeah. scratching backs, which yeah. just muddies the water. Absolutely, quite right. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago the players. Well, uh, you're listening to the following on podcast here on Talksport Two, and next up. We'll continue to discuss uh, the issues surrounding cricket in South Africa by speaking with the chief executive of the South African Cricketers Association, Andrew Britzka. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the following on podcast here on TalkSport 2, and I'm delighted to uh, welcome onto the show Andrew Britzka, the Chief Executive of the South African Cricketers Association. We're discussing the, uh, the, it's a South African special, and we're discussing the South African crisis that has been rumbling on, well, take your pick, anywhere between 10 years, uh, some people say the last three years, some people say the last 18 months, the last six months, it's been on and off, it's been rumbling, and as always, the people who've suffered most other players. Andrew, I don't know. I cannot imagine what you and the players must have been feeling 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago when the South African Minister of Sport, Nati and Tetwa, said that he would unrecognize or derecognize the Proteas as the official national team. There must have been thousands of cricketers of whom you are ostensibly their leader fearing for their futures, fear, fearing for their lives. You're right, Neil. And I think you're correct in saying how long has this crisis been going on because the last six months have been difficult for players. I've had players say to me, when will this be sorted out? When will this be resolved? And I think what happened on Friday when the minister effectively pulled the plug on, on South African cricket was, was a massive blow to cricketers' enthusiasm for the game. They're just, you know, they're, they're normal people. I had one 
pregnant of me. He's 24. He's just bought a car. And he said to me, well, what now? Am I not going to have a job in six months' time? Um, so that panic did set in. You know? And you're especially looking at the, 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 the middle of the road professional cricketer here. Yes, there are pro-tier players who are well looked after playing IPL, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that provincial cricketer whose contract kicks in next month in May, which is the start of the new contract season, suddenly this, there was this panic. And the first message we went with to our members was, don't panic. We did see this as a strategic last play by the minister, which sort of brought us to tap dancing on the precipice of the abyss of cricket. But fortunately, it, it resolved itself yesterday, we hope. I don't think one must count chickens before the hatch. But it's been difficult for the players. And I, I think there is lasting damage to the player group in terms of their confidence in the game in South Africa. And that's going to take a long time to repair. Andrew, can, can there any good come out of, of a bad situation? I think what I mean by this is now you're at a point where you nearly got a point where it was gone. We're at a point of no return. We're going forward. Is there a point of, well, we can make the, you know, the best out of this could be cricket in South Africa going forward. Our members, crick, cricketers, as I'm talking about, our members are getting a voice, getting a listen. Um, and we want to we wanna say in how our great game has played. Yeah, Steve, I think that's right. And one has to look at, like, look at it like that. And I think, I think it's true. Cricket in South Africa over the last five months has broken. It literally has broken. And once something's broken, you can at least start from scratch and start building it again. And that is another message we've been saying to players. You know what? When we come out of this, we'll be in a, in a better position. I know I'm biased, but I do believe that SACA as the Players Association has been a consistent voice of reason throughout this past year, two years of, of crisis. Um, and one of those points we have said to players in our roadshows, um, in our Zoom calls with teams, guys, if we get through this, we'll be in a better position. And as things stand now, operationally with Cricket South Africa, remembering this big fight's going on at the, at, at the board level, et cetera, but operationally with the operational team at Cricket South Africa, our relationship now is more effective and stronger than it's probably ever been. And that has come about because of the crises over the last 12, 24 months. So I think you're right. And that's the way we've been telling, preaching this to the players and saying, guys, things can improve now. An example of that, Steve, is that in the new memorandum of incorporation, the, the, the body, the governing document for the, the entity, Cricket South Africa, in electing the new board, SACA are allowed to elect a past protea to be on that nominations committee. That's a significant move in terms of the, the governors reaching out and saying, okay, players, you have been hard done by you. You have been very vocal in your criticism. We want to bring you into this fold and say, you have someone who can actually voice an opinion in that nominations committee. So again, that's a positive move. So I like your question because I think if you, you dwell too much on the negative of how everything's broken, you, you forget that we do have an opportunity to build here. But I think it's going to be a tough build because, sorry, Interrupting the tough build is that you've got to speak to sponsors as well. You've got to speak to broadcasters as well. It's not just players. How has the ICC been with this? Because they are the world governing body and you know, look out for you know, help around the world and you can talk to your compadres in many different countries that play the game of cricket. But the ICC, when how have they taken it? Because they're talking about no more cricket in South Africa. That affects the world game and that affects them, surely affects the ICC and they'll not want that either. Yeah, I think the ICC's attitude has been very much, well, hands off. Um, the Minister of Sport here in taking these actions that he has, has strategically and intelligently kept the ICC informed of what he's doing and why he's doing it, which I think is a good idea. And um, the ICC seemed to have taken the attitude of we don't want to get involved. We don't want to exercise our, our rights relative to recognizing South Africa, but just sort it out. So I think they'll be very relieved that we, these steps have been taken that seem to be getting us out of this dark place. Because I, I think deep down the ICC don't want to get involved in, in the domestic squabbles of, of cricket nations, and they'll be relieved. But, but they haven't really come out and said anything save for, please sort it out. The um, concentration on independence in the administration of the game, um, Andrew, how, much, how important is that? from your personal perspective as chief executive of, of SACA and how much, how much do the players know and understand? How involved are they in, in this process? And will it affect them at all hands-on? I mean, I've tried to paint the picture of how, how amateur um, governance has led to such 
consistent maladministration and, and, and poor corporate governance. So the independent majority and independent board and an independent chair, how, how much are the players following that and how much will it affect them? I think there's, there's actually quite a long answer to that, which I won't give, because I think your point of our sport comes out of an amateur era, amateur tradition in South Africa, be that in, in football, in, in rugby or cricket, uh, is an important discussion point, but not for now, because that's how we've got to this point. So we've had amateur officials who, bless their hearts, love the game, have been supporting the game through their clubs, suddenly in charge of multi-billion rand organizations in, across rugby, soccer and, and cricket, and they wonder why they start start failing. Um, and as someone who's come out of the, the corporate environment, that's been a, a great struggle for me to get my head around when the whole corporate environment is, guys, you have to have good corporate governance, majority of independence to run a business properly. Yet in sport, we haven't had that. That learning curve for our players, Neil, has been significant because one of our challenges as SACA is when a player comes and says, what's this all about? Why is this such a, a big deal? We just want to play cricket. And we want to play cricket for our franchise. So why is this fight going on? So you're effectively having to take a cricketer who's 23, 24, has really cricketed his life and explain to him corporate governance principles around why things need to change. And one of the ways we've done that is to give examples from, I don't know whether you've dealt with the Fundudzi report, the, the forensic investigation into Cricket South Africa, and highlighted decision-making that was just patently wrong. And had corporate governance principles, majoritarianism been in place there, they wouldn't have been made. They were made for self-interest for provincial reasons. And then explain to players, this is why we need to change. And of course, the other important manner of teaching this is around the sponsors. Sponsors who obviously as corporate entities have strict corporate governance principles. You say, you're not reflecting those crickets in Africa. We don't want to be involved. So... It's not an easy education piece for players because it's quite foreign to what their work is, but it's been an important one. And I, it would be naive if I were to say to you, our players are fully, fully on top of what, exactly what's going on. Um, they're not fully on top of it. Some are, some are a bit more confused. Uh, we get messages come, coming through from players when we send out communications, which we've been doing on a weekly basis. And they say, great, I'm just great to know you're on top of things. Um, so I think that is a challenge, that whole education piece around the governance of sport but having said that, Neil, it's, it's even more of an education piece for our, for our administrators involved in the game, which is where it should be starting. I know that Harmi is going to ask me in part three of the programme how bad the financial situation is for Cricket South Africa. So please answer. <laughs> it has been better. Let me put it diplomatically. It's not great. You know, this, this year, this financial year we're in, the season we're in has been probably one of the worst on, on record in, in the professional era. If, if you think about... The England tour being shortened, Australia not coming. That was over 100 million rand lost to cricket South Africa at a time when it was critically important. At the same time, um, sponsors are not queuing up at the door. And sponsors are saying, and I said it to us, uh, we like cricket, but we're not going near it at the moment. Uh, one of the saving graces in the financial modeling for cricket South Africa is that India are coming at, at the end of this year. And that's a significant tour. And that will seriously improve the financial situation of, of Cricket South Africa because it's quite an extensive tour. But having said that, um, I will give Cricket South Africa credit operationally because they have trimmed their coat considerably over the last 12 months, which, as you know, Neil, has been a big fight that we've had with Cricket South Africa around cost and around their forecast revenue losses. Um, and they have curbed those significantly. But cricket is not in a financially healthy state, if you look at it overall. The reserves have dropped considerably from what they were three, four years ago. And that's terrible for me to say, but had this issue dragged on longer, two, three, four, five, six months, I think it could have been seriously detrimental to the financial status of, of the game because I think it would have impacted upon touring, et cetera, and broadcast deals. So the fact that this has been sorted now and appears to be on the right track is a plus, but we're not in a healthy situation. Um, there is some light at the end of the tunnel because it's a good, a good year coming up with India, but we still have to cut our cloth and continue to cut our cloth uh, across the cricket, cricket spectrum. Andrew, just to, on, you know, I, I look at, I get accused because I look at the world as though it's this perfect place. Um, and it's, it's definitely not, especially when you're dealing with organizations and there's money and there's all sorts of, of, of stuff that the, the, the cricket 
fan or cricketer doesn't really understand. Is there a, a role for some of the greats of South African cricket to get involved here? The, you know, the, the players that I played against, the likes of Sean Pollock, the likes of Micaiah and Tini, you know, the people from the townships looking up to the way Micaiah was, not only as a cricketer, but as a person and a role model for, for, the, for, the, for, for people in South Africa. Is there a role for these guys, like likes of Graham Smith and Jack Callis and John T. Rhodes, all that, to come together and say to the administrators, come on, let's just shake this into gear and make South African sport better? My answer to that is yes and, and no. I, I don't think, and, and Neil's probably got, also got a good answer to this, Sadly, for whatever reason, um, I think across our sport, there's a tradition of when the player's left the game, he's left the game. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, and maybe it's different in, in England, but it does appear to be the manner in which it happens here in South Africa. There are far too few of our great cricketers um, who are not involved in the game in the manner in which I would like them to be involved in the game. So... Graham is obviously now, Graham Smith is obviously very involved in the game and is having a significant impact upon how the actual cricket is structured in the game, vouchers and captain. But many of the others have probably got greater influence even outside South Africa, be it in India, um, be it even in Europe in, in some cases. So I think it's an interesting question as to why that happens. It, it, it seems to be a tradition here in South Africa across our sports that once you go, you go. But I do, I do think that there's a... There's a Interesting discussion around where administrators feel threatened by the power of players, past players. Mm. I mean, I think it's a good discussion point around the power of the player generally, um, you know, whether it's Marcus Rashford in England doing his stuff on the football or, or whether it's a, a Sean Pollock voicing his opinion. I do think it would have been useful if a number of past players had come out more vocally and spoken about what's going on in cricket. I don't think that's really happened in South Africa. And again, that's almost a tradition thing. And I think you also need to understand that the dispute that's happened over the past year, there are various factions within South African cricket, unfortunately, um, who have been fighting this fight behind the scenes. So if someone puts their hand up and makes a comment, uh, one faction will come up against them uh, and vice versa. So that's been quite destructive. I think one has to say that this fight in South Africa because it has been a fight, has, has been destructive because of different opinions and different factions and accusations to and fro. And, you know, as a past player, I think players look at it and say, you know what, I don't want to go anywhere there, which isn't great because I think their opinions do count. I mean, in the late 80s, uh, when I started work, early 90s, players uh, were paid a few hundred rand in a brown envelope and uh, given a pat on the back. And uh, administrators treated them like, like serfs, really. I mean... Uh, uh, and Saka has had its problems, hasn't it? It's been uh, been 20 years now since it was started. But you and Tony Irish, the founder of Saka, encountered huge resistance from administrators. And there was still just a feeling like we, we run sport, we are the administrators, none of whom were former sportsmen. And the players had this constant battle. And to be recognised and treated fairly. And, I, and sometimes I wonder whether South African sport has actually moved on from that. That's a, a great statement, Neil, because I think the, the birth of Saka was painful uh, because it was very much pub language used against Saka when they were founded. You know, who the, do you think you are type of thing? And Saka had to establish itself by, by collectively organising commercial rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there was a period of, of calm, I suppose you'd call it, where where some of the leaders saw the value in Saka. And then three, four years ago, 2018, when Tabang came in, when we sat down for our, our MOU, our big collective agreement negotiation, uh, his starting point in the meeting, which ironically was on the morning of the sandpaper test at Newlands. I remember it so clearly. It's etched in my mind. It was a shocking day for us in the negotiation, but worse for Steve Smith, I always remember saying. But in that, when we sat down in the boardroom at Newlands and the CEO said to us, why should I even speak to you? And he started going behind our backs and undermining us. And then you realize you, you're in a fight. You, you're in a big fight. And they pushed the, the negotiation intentionally later and later to, to straddle over the, the period of renewal so that players were out of contract. Then they went to players individually and said, well, we'll contract you individually. Um, and we had to hold the player group together. So you're actually fighting for your survival as a player group um, to not be splintered. So, so you, you are correct. It, it almost regressed unbelievably. The benefit of the fallout of the Fundudzi, which and the Fundudzi report, if anybody reads it, I think Saka comes out of it looking really good because we, we played everything with a straight bat. We did everything properly. 
And the, the fallout from that has been positive for us in the sense that, you know what, you need to engage the players' association. They are a constructive party. We're not there to be difficult. We protect the interests of the players. We promote them, but we're also there for the best interests of the game. And when I said earlier that operationally, we've got a really good relationship with, with the team at Cricket South Africa, Paletzi, the acting CEO, and Graham as director of cricket, um, et cetera. It's around, guys, we have an issue. Let's sit down and talk about it. It's, it they're not feeling threatened by us. Yes, we have disagreements. Uh, yes, Graham will turn around and say, geez, that was a harsh letter you wrote me. That's fine. That's how that relationship must work. But, you know, like the PCA in England, we've got a constructive role to play. But the last three years have been difficult. We've had to reestablish that beachhead as an important stakeholder. I think we're there. Um, and I think we recognize that. But there are administrators. There are people, Neil, on that members' council who, if you mention SACA, will spit blood at you. I know that for a fact. Um, maybe that will always be so, but it doesn't change the fact we're an important stakeholder. And Andrew, where does it go now? Where does Cricket South Africa stand now? And ideally, where would we like to be in three, four weeks' time looking forward to what is hopefully going to be a fantastic India tour? Yeah, I mean, that, that's also a great question because I don't think that what happened yesterday with this agreement is suddenly the silver bullet and everything's fine. That decision that was agreed upon yesterday still has to be ratified. Formally, in terms of our Companies Act, it has to be done and they've undertaken it to, to do it in the next 48 hours. So I'm actually not counting my chickens until that happens in the next 48 hours. Then there's still a dispute that we won't get into between the Ministry of Sport and SASCOP, which is our, our sports commission, who don't like the fact that there's a majority of independence. And whilst the minister said, this is how it must be, there's going to be a fight there, which can still impact upon cricket. But if we get past the next 48 hours, we need to move into that space. And, and I believe this is actually the most critical issue that faces our game, not so much the decision-making, but this issue is we have to get ourselves a highly competent, effective, and good board of directors. Because if we don't get that, all this fight has been worthless. It's like building yourself the most beautiful supercar, but you don't know how to drive it. It's worthless then. So that process actually of getting these highly competent, effective, good directors in place has to be done properly because otherwise this has all been for naught. And then I would like us to be able to sit down and say to the big broadcasters out there, the big sponsors out there, here we go. This is an attractive option for you. You can now sleep soundly at night knowing the millions of rands you're giving Cricket South Africa are being spent properly on development on the Proteus. They're not being squandered. There's an independent board. They're accountable. They will engage with you. And once you start putting those building blocks in place, then I believe it will reinforce our cricket structures. And that has to start impacting upon having a better Proteus team, better structures around the Proteus. You must remember, Steve, at the moment, we don't have a, a CEO at Cricket South Africa. The chief financial officer is the acting CEO. That's not ideal because he's also got to be a chief financial officer. We have no head of commercial. The two most important jobs out of three in cricket, we don't have people in those jobs. Graham Smith is acting as a, as a, a, dip, as a head of commercial, which is not his skill. He's got to be head of cricket. So this is a, a ship without a rudder at the moment where people are doing their very best. We've got to get those elements sorted out. Board in place, full-time CEO, head of commercial, engage the sponsors, create the platform for us to become great again. And that will take a couple of months. And, and hopefully when the, the new season happens in around September, we'll be in a better place. All I can say is from a soccer point of view, we, we're there to support Cricket South Africa like we have been. We want this change to be positive and we will, we will do what we can to facilitate it. Andrew Brisker, Chief Executive of the South African Cricketers Association. Thank you so much. Good luck. I hope you, uh, I hope you get some, some better sleep in uh, the months to come because I know there's been some cold sweats. There have been. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely brilliant. You're listening to the following on podcast here on TalkSport 2. We're uh, talking about the crisis of administration that has enveloped Cricket South Africa and briefly... Uh, threatened to remove the South African men's and women's national teams from international cricket. That crisis has been averted. In theory, the deal has yet to be signed, but uh, it has been a very, very difficult time for Cricket South Africa. Alongside me, as always, my co-host Steve Harmison, who's trying to make head or tail of uh, what on earth uh, has uh, been happening in Cricket South Africa. 
Um, and he's not the only one because most of the players in uh, South Africa as well are wondering what on earth is going on, Harmy. And as, yeah, just again, it comes back to the players are the ones that seem to be the ones that last to find out, last to know. And it's difficult to get to where the, the mindset of the player would be because like majority of sports, the elite are fine. People at the top level, guys that are playing for cricket, South African contracts, guys that will be playing, going overseas and playing as county cricketers and IPLs and stuff like that. They'll be well looked after financially when it comes to the dollar going back into the rand back home. But the player that's trying to make his way in the game, the the kid that leaves school, and you know, I'm I'm just getting a sense of just non-professionalism here from the top all the way down to the bottom. It just seems as though off the field it struggles. And I mentioned the school system there. You you see the likes of Duncan Fletcher came over to England, talked about how he seen Jack Callis for the first time in a Cape Town school. These things, these these school teams, and you know people that play from there. There's there's not just a franchise. There's a lot more others in jeopardy here, and and that well, that's what worries me more than anything as a former player. But I think the question to you, Manners, and I, I get off off Andrew there. The, the Fundudzi report keeps coming up. Can you explain in England what what that means and what that is? It's a financial forensic report, which was commissioned by the Members' Council, the aforementioned Recalcitrant Members' Council. And it was done when nobody realised this at the time, but in the aftermath of the failed T20 Global League, there were uh, accusations of maladministration, financial uh, wrongdoing, and just a slew of uh, corporate governance issues. And the Members' Council, we learnt later, commissioned a forensic report basically to look good and the company that carried out the the, the forensic um, investigation is called Fundudzi so uh, so it, that's why the report is called the Fundudzi report but they did a rather better job than I think the members council were expecting them to do <laughs> it normally happens doesn't it yeah <laughs> well I mean, you know, you employ a specialist company to do a specialist job. What, you, what do you expect them to do? Yeah. Anyway, their report was 457 pages long. Wow. And, and, it was, and it contained evidence that I think some members, some presidents on the members' council were either very surprised by or very embarrassed by. Um, and we knew we we had confirmation that they uh, that they only did this to to look make it look like they were doing something about all the uh, maladministration because they refused to to make it public, and they went a step further. They the in-house cricket South Africa lawyers said that anybody who who insisted on reading the report had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and it. Turns out that several members of uh, the administration on the members' council uh, are facing criminal prosecution. Uh, they've already um, sacked the then chief executive Tabang Moreau, who's uh, who's crops up everywhere for um, again a whole raft of. Um... And he does crop up everywhere, though, doesn't he? Just to put a little bit more meat on that bone, he does crop up a hell of a lot, no matter what article. Whoever's writing it, whether it's a, you know the journalists or cricketers, former cricketers who are voicing their opinion. Well, he's he's now been sacked, but uh, you know the 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 point about the the amateurness of the um, the amateurish nature of the members' council is that they were supposed to be overseeing him as chief executive, uh, and they 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 signed off on on certain agreements and deals that uh, they they didn't know anything about. They just, uh, you know, it's like one of those comedy programs where the president gets a whole bunch of papers, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, and millions of, uh, of Rand uh, disappeared. But that, that was the, the Fundudzi report. But, I mean, the, the, the first re- commission of inquiry was held by ju- a retired judge called Chris Nicholson after the... Um, do you remember when the IPL was held in South Africa in 2009? Yeah, 2009. I, I, I was going to ask you that. When you, when you look at how far back has this stemmed from, there's a lot of talk about did it start in 2017 when the, 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 the T20 Global League failed in there. But you know, there's a lot of reports say it was even further back. And even as far as back as 2009, that 
this probably the problem stemmed from and we are now 12 years on and we're nowhere near in a position that things are, are getting any better. So what happened after the uh, 2009 IPL, which was a great success, the IPL were, uh, were so pleased, they tipped Cricket South Africa in the region of four and a half million rand, just as a little thank you. Um, and then there was the, the uh, IPL bonus scandal. Um, the then Minister of Sport commissioned an inquiry from retired judge Chris Nicholson, and he he reviewed the whole, not just the bonus scandal, but the whole of the administration of Cricket South Africa. And it was him who said in his report in 2010, a year later, this amateur situation cannot carry on. These scandals will continue to appear and crop up again and again and again until you have a majority independent board with an independent chairperson. And Cricket South Africa said, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And they've been messing about, prevaricating for, as you say, the best part of 12 years, never instituted the independent section of the administration. And that's why the problems have continued. Uh, just amateurs overseeing amateurs. And, uh, and as always, it's the players who suffer. And where do we get to from here, from an outsider looking in, like I said a bit earlier, trying wanting to have this lovely, nice, beautiful world that we don't live in, but trying to, to, to pick the bones and, and make Cricket South Africa better. You're out there in South Africa. We, we talked to Andrew, the chief exec of the, the, the Cricketers Association, out there. And my question to him was about the former players, the likes of Sean Pollock, who has a massive voice on the TV, Mikhail Rintini. Everybody knows Mikhail Rintini and he's tracking what he's built up. Yeah, his career was built up through the townships and stuff like that. He is an iconic figure for people in South Africa, a large proportion of people in South Africa, is it time we now try and get these on the boards? Because I mentioned about personal experiences in Durham, where Serene Botham is the cricket voice. Andrew Flintoff is on the on the Lancashire board. Ronnie Arani, this the former England all-rounder who was it was cricket he's, he's chairman at uh, in Essex, who won the the county championship last year. There are good cricketing people out there who want to, who I'm sure in South Africa, who will want to help, want to put their voice on a board with administrators, hopefully that they'll listen to them to make the game better, because it just seems from an outside, there are people running the game of cricket who know nothing about cricket, possibly know a lot about business, and the things are crossing over, and they're in a, in a very, very ugly situation. So what happens, um, Andrew Britska mentioned the nominations committee, um, and the interim board, it was appointed by the minister, have put a nominations and appointments process in place, which hopefully will lead to exactly what you say. People like Sean Pollock having a seat on the board. But there's a, a six-person nominations and appointments committee. SACA, the Cricketers Association, and get to nominate one. The Members' Council get to nominate one. But the others come from the Institute of South African Directors, uh, the um, South African Institute of Chartered Accountants, uh, the, the South African Legal um, Fraternity. So these are independent people who who love the cricket, who love love cricket, love the game, have independent skills. They have no franchise or no provincial biases, and they will then look at the board, look at the business. Be, I said there was a chartered accountant is on there as well, isn't there? So they they will not only be looking at the business of cricket from a financial and a corporate governance point of view, but they would also say, where are the Mackay, where are the, are the Mackay and Tini's? Where are the Sean Pollocks? Hopefully. Yeah. Because as I've explained, we have this system where the members council administrators have spent 30 or 40 years in the, in, at club level, and then they get to national level and they believe we're the administrators. We are the administrators. You are the players and we will do the administrating, and you do the playing. But if we have a majority independent board, they, presumably, hopefully, <laughs> will look at that and go, well, that's not the way it should work. <laughs> and then the players who, don't, who haven't for decades and decades trusted the administrators will then trust the administrators. And when they say, come and have a seat on the board or come and address the board because we want people like you, to give us credibility, then hopefully the likes of Sean Pollock, who has, by the way, said no 
many times um, to helping out at administration level because he, he has no trust yeah. in, uh, in administrators. But if we have a majority independent board, then hopefully the players by invitation will say, yeah, actually, I reckon I can make a contribution. And I think the million dollar question, Manners, is will that work? Because we were 12, you were still talking about it, 12 years ago from you know, after the IPL and the report in 2010, if they'd have another report like this and the, the outcome, the verdict is this is the way to go, will we be sitting here in 12 years' time thinking, well, they're just completely not, they're just not listening to anything we are, we're trying to achieve? It will be catastrophic, Hami. It absolutely will be. Um, and I, all I can say for a, with 100% certainty is that this new memorandum of incorporation, this new constitution, this new design for administration with good corporate governance built into it is so much better than the, than the last one. That's all I can say is that it, it's, it's a new model. It's, it's shiny. It's not yet out the garage. It's going to have to be test driven. Um, <laughs> But you know what? It is so, so much better than the old one. And I'm optimistic. I, I, I think that it's going to be... You see, independent directors on the Cricket South Africa board in the past have been unilaterally appointed and they've been jobs for chums and jobs for pals and and uh, none of whom have been real cricketing people from, you know, in the sense like a Surrey and Botham. And, and now with this independent nominations and appointments committee, I hope that that nepotism and cronyism will will stop um or it'll be a hell of a lot more difficult to shoehorn your chum in onto the board so that he gets a you know the perks and privileges of of cricket administration and gets free tickets to the test match and that's the kind of amateur mentality that we need to move away from so you know what if it doesn't work then i am going to take an apprentice course in plumbing and change my career <laughs> Oh, well, finger, fingers crossed you haven't got a ratchet or a spanner in your hand the next time we have this conversation about South African cricket because the one thing I think we all agree is going to South Africa, playing against South Africa and the people of South Africa not only deserve a lot better, but uh, the, the, the world of cricket is far better for having the minute because I know, you know, talking to people from past experiences in the 80s and 90s when South Africa in cricket wasn't recognised, um, there was an awful lot of world-class players and their career stats. It's just frightening that they could not be involved in the world game anymore. So, you know, fingers crossed for everybody listening in South Africa. Well, there are reasons to be hopeful on the field as, as well, Harmi. I mean, you know, there's South Africa's South Africa has a couple of things that really have has going for it. Uh, one is the weather <laughs> and yeah. two is facilities um and the production line of quality cricketers has not been uh, too adversely affected at grassroots level in fact it's expanding south africa has remains and always has been a net exporter of cricketers england know that better than than, than most people Absolutely. Um, and the appointment of dean elgar as test captain temba bavuma the first uh, black captain uh, of the white ball teams as well you know, there are still good cricketers around. And, yeah, it's been miserable as hell for the last couple of years, three years, concentrating and having our focus and attention taken away by the administrative mess. But do you know what? There's there's reason to be hopeful for the future on the field. You played against some some very good South African teams. And, and you know you've, you've spent time here. You've, you've seen there's lots of cricketers. If we can all start pulling in the same direction, then there's reason to be hopeful and optimistic. Yeah, and that's what we've, we've mentioned and we've talked to you know, Andrew, the chief executive of the Players Cricket Association, and how frustrating it is because of people are trying to forge a career for themselves. I mentioned earlier before working with Duncan Fletcher and taking the likes of Jack Callis out of school. And over in, in England, we've, there was a, a TV programme on A.B. de Villiers and Nasser Hussein did a great documentary with A.B. de Villiers. And the school section of that and the club section. And I remember playing against AB on his debut um, at Port Elizabeth. I think it was when um, when we when we, we were the England were the first team to win after apartheid, I think, in South Africa. It was a you know, and that was a fantastic 
achievement from my personal point of view because of how strong South African cricket is. And there seems to be a, a switch now that players are going back to South Africa because of Brexit in England and there's the passport you know, control that, are, that, that that's been coming into to English cricket where the players like so beer and there's a few others gone back. Hashim Amlo is in in the squads for the West. He's in the squad for the the Western Province when the all the contracts were named. There was a lot of good South African players going back to South African cricket, and you're thinking, you know what? From the outside, this is cause for for optimism here. Not because South African international side is going to get better, but the domestic side of the game in South Africa is going to be very, very strong. And that will then lead to younger players coming through, getting into the international game. And um, it, you, you thought, right, this, is, this seems to be a positive. But overshadowing it was the stuff that was going off the field. But if you're talking about on the field, it just seems that Crickets, the South African domestic cricket with players going back from the English system, i.e. the co-pack players, it can only benefit for South African cricket to be stronger at first-class level, which then has a knock-on effect to grassroots because all we've talked about in this show, negativity about the, 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 the non-professionalism of, of administration or anything to do with that, the, the South African grassroots system has always been very, very good, very strong and very productive and getting players to a point where they've made a decision to go and rightly so because the money wakes the world go around and they've gone to further their you know, financial futures and go and play away from South Africa. The way the, 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 way the EU is and the way the Brexit is, this, this seems to be as good a time to play domestic cricket in South Africa because not only is it going to be strong, competitive then that will make the cricket in the 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 nation a lot better when it comes to international cricket and having and you know having a black captain and the white ball format i think is huge it's massive you know we we were there and we were there talk sport two had had um the commentary of the of the cricket you know last last winter the winter before i think it was and you've got makaya and teeny bouncing between commentary booths and Anybody that knows Mankarantini, he's the most infectious guy that you'll ever meet. Somebody who I played a lot, nearly all of my career against. And these are the guys, they, these are the role models that should be put up. Absolutely should be put up. You know, where Mikhail come from, townships, and these these are inspirational characters. And you know, not only is Mikhail like that when he's a player, he is like that as a person. He's a bit like Graham Swan. He's good for five minutes, but after a while, you just think, will you leave me alone? But these are the people, and having a black captain in white ball format, I think is a, is brilliant for cricket South Africa. And hopefully off the field can help get on the field stronger because I think if you get them both going hand in hand together, cricket South Africa will be a ridiculously strong nation. Yeah, you remember in the late 90s and, uh, and early 2000s, or quite a lot of the 2000s, a lot of uh, cricket people said that uh, the world game needs a strong West Indies. Well, all I would say is that the world game would be a better place with a strong South Africa. Absolutely. You've been listening to the following on podcast. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can listen back to the podcast on the free TalkSport app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow for our roundup of the latest matches of county championship action. Thanks for listening to the following on podcast. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 